What I'd like you to do is turn to Colossians chapter 3. I, we're going to do some pretty close Bible work this morning. Some of it I'll have up here on the, on the screen and some of it I won't because I really want you to think about what Scripture is saying closely. Ken, this is the third in a series on Colossians. Ken talked about the supremacy of Christ in the first sermon, and that was just, it was great. The supremacy of Christ above all the other hostile powers. And then the sufficiency of Christ. Uh, focusing there in chapter 2, middle part, where you are dead in Christ, but now Christ made you alive. He forgave all your sins. He canceled the written code and the list of sins were against you, nailed it to the cross, disarmed the powers and authorities, exposed them for what they are, triumphed over them in Christ. Therefore, let nobody judge you. Powerful stuff, and that all comes together in the community like Antioch. Now we move to another level, chapter 3. I want to read this, and then we'll dig into it. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness, <clears throat> humility, gentleness, and patience, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If anyone has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. And let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then it goes on to instruction for Christians' households. This is an amazing passage. This is an amazing passage. And I want to unpack this a little bit because it's one of these things that it begins with just an idea of who we are. Here in the beginning, it says there since you have been raised with Christ. Remember back in chapter 2, it talked about you were once dead, Christ made you alive. Now he talks about you have been raised with Christ. Set your mind on things above. We are, do you have your notes, by the way? If you don't, you want to get them. If you don't, stick your hand up and somebody will bring you one because we're going to use them this morning. Stick hand up, somebody will bring you notes because you need them this morning. We're going to do some real close stuff. Yeah, I just surprised the ushers. They're running. They'll be in here in just a minute because you need those. We're going to work real closely with the text here this morning. So 
So they'll bring in some notes. You died, it said, and your life is hidden with Christ. We have been joined to the supremacy of Christ. And that joining with Christ is a foundation of what we're talking about. This joining with Christ, a new life that comes out of it. You have died, he said. Now, I want to unpack this a little bit. You died? Okay, now, I, I took, uh, I took uh, Mrs. Johnson. Okay, the notes are in here. Hands up if you don't have them. I took Mrs. Johnson, was my ninth grade English teacher. She drilled me in grammar. And I still twitch, not only at the abuse I suffered at her hands, uh, but when people do really dumb grammatical mistakes. And my pastor, Jay Messenger at Grace Community Gresham, constantly does things like say, well, come with uh, Jamie and I. And I, oh, Mrs. Johnson, crazy in my mind. But we're going to use Mrs. Johnson. So you see, you died is red. Is that past, present, or future? Past. Is that a command factor or promise? Command factor promise. It's a fact. So that is a past fact. Okay? Now look down just a little bit lower, verse 5, and you'll see put to death right there. Put to death. Command factor promise. That's a command. Past, present, or future? Present. Present once or present ongoing? It's present ongoing. Okay, so that's a present command. So if you're doing this in, you put their past fact, what do you put on the next one? Present command. Now, here's the thing. Somebody said there's contradictions in the Bible. There it is. There it is. What does verse 3 say? You are dead. And verse 5 says what? You've got to put yourself to death. So which is it? Are you dead or you've got to put yourself to death? There it is. Absolute, absolute contradiction in Scripture. See it? It's right there. You died, put to death. Are you dead or you've got to kill yourself? Which one it is? I mean, this, this is a problem already, see? Now, look at verse 8. You must also rid yourself. Command, factor, promise. That's a command. Past, present, or future? Present, present once or present ongoing? Present ongoing. Okay. So that's a present command. You know what's going to go in your notes there in a minute. Come down a little bit lower, and it says, since you have taken off. Command, factor, promise. That's a fact. Past, present, or future? Past, past done or past still true? Past done or past still true? It's past still true. And, so that's a, oops, this one, past fact. So you know how it's going to go on the thing. What is it? Rid yourselves is what? Present command. You have taken off is what? Past fact. What's the problem? Is it gone or do you got to get rid of it? Is your old self gone, or do you got to get rid of your old self? It's an absolute contradiction. It says you got to do it, and then it says it's done. 
aren't you really glad you came to church this morning? <laughs> and we're not done yet. We're not done yet. Verse 10, have put on. Command, fact, or promise? Fact, past, present, or future? Past. Past done or is past still true? Past still true. So you have put on the new self. So the new self is on, but look down at verse, there's, so there's past fact. Now down at verse 12, it says, clothe yourselves with so here, have put on, here, clothe yourselves. Now, clothe yourselves, past, present, or future? Present. Present is a command, fact, or promise? It's a command. Pres command once or present on command ongoing? Command ongoing, okay. So it's a present command, and now you know what the rest of it is there. Past. There you go. Three contradictions in nine verses. Three absolute contradictions in nine verses. It says that you're dead, but you've got to kill yourself. It says your old self is, it says get rid of your old self, but it says your old self is gone. And then it says you have a new self, but you've got to put on the new self. Absolute contradiction. No wonder people say the Bible is confusing. Okay. Now, obviously, I don't think it's contradictory. But the thing that I'm wanting to do here is think with you a little bit of what does this say about us? What does it say about us? Okay, let's come back and look at verse 8. It says, old self, right there. If you look back in the Greek, that actually, or in some of the older translation, it didn't say old self, it says old man. And down here it doesn't say new self, it says new man. And I think that's important. What is the old man and the new man? And we get an answer to that. One of the places we get an answer to that is look back in the book of Ephesians. So I look in Ephesians chapter 2, which is in some ways parallel to Colossians. Ephesians 2, he himself, that's Christ, is our peace, who has made the two groups. Anybody know who the two groups are here in Ephesians? Jews and Gentiles. He's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing road of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law and his command, his regulation. His purpose was to create what? One new man. What is this new man in Ephesians chapter 2? Is that a new individual? No. What is the new man in Ephesians chapter 2? Yes, yeah, say it. It's okay. The church. He's talking about a new humanity which we call the church, which is a group of people. And if you look in, in Colossians uh, 13, uh, no, 11, there is no Gentile Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all. Same thing. He's talking about the new humanity, the new mankind in Christ. So the new man, 
the new man back here in Colossians 3, new man, and of course here the old man, isn't an individual. So the NIV translation, I think, is it's an, it's probably purposely being ambiguous here. But I think what he's saying, what he's focusing on here is not the new self individually, but he's looking at the self as a part of a greater whole. So each of you are a part of Antioch Church, which is a church, but you're an individual that's a part of the church. Only this is a bigger thing yet. What's gone in verse 8, what is it? What goes in the blank there? What's gone? No, the old, the old is not the church, the old man. And we've got to ask ourselves, what is the old man? The new man is the church. What's the old man? Take your Bibles and turn back to chapter 1 in Colossians. We're going to do some Bible work here, so there it is. Let's see, I want to be in Colossians chapter 1. Start, look at verse 13. Colossians 1, 13. Let's start back at verse 12. And giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he, who is the he? Who is the he? No, it's not Jesus. It's a good answer, but not right this time. Who is the he? Uh, well, in some, tra- in some cases it will have a hap- capital H, but NIV doesn't capitalize pronouns referring to deity. So what is the he referring to? Mrs. Johnson, speak up. What's the reference of the pronoun? <laughs> the father. The father. The father has rescued us from what? What has he rescued us from? The, the old system, the dominion of darkness. Who is the head in the dominion of darkness? Who's the spiritual head? Satan. Who's the human head of the dominion of darkness? <laughs> the human head is Adam, the fallen Adam. Yeah, good idea. That's okay. I'm looking for participation here. I'm a professor type as well as a preacher type. And I much prefer interaction than I do to lecturing, so there it is. I, in the dominion of darkness, the old man is that. It's that dominion of darkness and it's membership in Adam's family, not the Adam's family, but the, the, the family of Adam, the fallen Adam. And what characterizes Satan's dominion of darkness? What kinds of things characterize that? Sin, Sin yeah. What kinds of things do we talk about? Well, it's that list in chapter 3. It's, what is it? Put to death. And it's, what is it? Gosh, put to death. So sexual immorality. Okay. Porneia is the word there. What's the word in English we get from that? Pornography. Now, just a question. Is he talking about sexual desires, wrong sexual desires, sexual identity, or sexual activity? Because there really are three. Is he talking about... Here, is he talking about sexual desires, sexual identity, or sexual activity? 
I think he's thinking primarily here, or, pr or first, about sexual activity. Where, according to scripture, is the place for sexual activity? It's within the bonds of covenant marriage, one man, one woman, husband, wife for life. And that is the only place for sexual activity. Anything beyond that is called porneia. And he says, put it to death. Put it to death. And he goes on and talks about all those other things. And uh, that is, uh, that's the old man is my membership in the dominion of darkness. Am I darkness or light? Am I darkness or light? According to Colossians 1.12, you've still got it in front of you. Now think with me a bit. Colossians 1.13, for he has rescued us. Past, present, or future? Past. Command, fact, or promise? Fact. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the sun or the kingdom of light. Am I in darkness or in light? Light. As far as my man is concerned, my humanity. I'm no longer in the dominion of darkness. I am in the kingdom of light. And I'm one or the other. I'm one or the other. That's the old man. The old humanity. I am no longer dead in sin. I am alive in Christ. I'm no longer under Satan. I'm under Jesus. I'm no longer in darkness. I am in light. That's my membership, my humanity. But then he contrasts that with put to death. See here, put to death. All this stuff. All the sexual immorality and impurity and all that kind of stuff. Now, that's not, that's not my humanity. That's not my membership in an authority structure. That is the old nature. And that differentiation here between old man, my family membership or my kingdom authority, and old nature, and that old nature is the values, the thinking pattern, the allegiances, the practices. And this is all in your notes. That's why I said get it because I'm lecturing at you a little bit here. The old man is my membership in the dominion of darkness, the authority thing. So in Colossians 2, he's 15, he said he has disarmed the powers and authorities. What authority does Satan have over me today if I'm a Christian? None, none, unless I give it to him. He has no legitimate authority because I'm not in light, I'm not in darkness, I am in light. So I, am, I have put off the old man, 3-5, but I must put off the ways or the nature, the socialization. So see, it's not a contradiction. There really is something that's gone in 3-8. You have put off the old man, the membership in the dominion of darkness, but I must, 3-5, put off the ways of the old man. So I am no longer under the authority of Satan. My deepest desires are no longer selfish because of the newness. Now, it's not in your notes. This is for doing right here. Uh, chapter 2, chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 9. Colossians 3, 9. Oh, sorry, 3, 10. 
Colossians 3.10 begins what? You have put off the, or you, you have put on, past fact, what? The new self or new man, new humanity. So I have put off the old man under the authority of Satan. I have put on the new man. Who's the head of the new humanity? Jesus. Uh-huh. So you look back at verse 1, and what does it say? Look back at verse 1, what does it say? You have been what? Raised with Christ. You are, who is seated at the right hand of God. You have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Sure. It's, well, it's, uh, what do we call it? A slecture. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. What is, no, number two is what? On the actual slide. Though. Yep. We're trying to get rid of those things without having realization. That's that you're correct. Be that is correct. Okay, well said. If I try to, I'll use your thing, number two, if I try to deal with old nature without realizing the truth of old man being gone, what do we call that? That's called legalism. It's pretty heavy. It's way heavy. It's way heavy. You know, I grew up in a fundamentalist church when I was a kid, and I kicked it off big time, and I rejected it completely. thought I was rejecting Christianity and spent four and a half years away from the Lord and ended up, I was right at the edge of suicide. And the reason I kicked off that church where I grew up, that fundamentalist church, I didn't know it was fundamentalist. I thought it was just Christian. It was all full of legalism. Most sermons were three-point sermons, and there are not any points to this sermon, so you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> have you ever been in a pointless sermon before? <laughs> the first, ser- first point was, this is really bad. The second point is, you are doing it. The third point was, stop. <laughs> and uh, I got kind of tired of that sermon, as a matter of fact. Because what's the problem? It's just what you're saying. To tell me to stop doing it doesn't help a bit. I'd stop for a little bit, maybe, and people around me would stop for a little bit, but rules will never change because rules have no power. Rules have no power unless they're based in something deeper, and that's where the the grace comes in. Because what grace is talking about is that I have changed. My membership is no longer in dominion of darkness. It is kingdom of Christ. It is in light. But it's more than that. Because it's a change that happens in my heart. And we call this regeneration when we talk about it theologically. And I'm one of those theological kind of guys I'm one of those theological kind of guys, and regeneration means that I have given a new heart, biblically, and I've been given the new spirit. Now, what spirit have I been given when I become a Christian? The Holy Spirit of God, the same one that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. I have that power in me, and it's not just a power, it's a person. 
that's with me as a person. But beyond that, I have a new heart. Now, biblically, the heart isn't something I leave in San Francisco. <laughs> the heart, biblically, is the deepest driving passions of the person. And biblically, my heart has changed. So what I'm suggesting to you, regeneration means my deepest desires are now Christ-like. That's what we mean when old man is gone, new man is in. Old man, the deepest desires are self-centered. New man, the deepest desires are Christ-centered. But those are not the only desires in my life. I've got this other thing that Paul calls flesh or sinful desires, and those desires are still selfish and sinful. And that's the war he's talking about. Okay? Now, I'm going to take a couple of questions here. I'm not supposed to do that in a sermon, but I'm going to do it anyway. Only one more. This is good. It might be like 10, but I could wait till Redux. Yeah, we'll wait for Redux for some more, but one more. Is the church scared of the Holy Spirit? The church is scared of the Holy Spirit in many parts, or they're totally crazy with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a. The Holy Spirit is a person, and when you have a relationship with a person, well, I, you know, almost 45 years ago, I stood in front of a preacher, and he asked me, Gary, will you love, honor, and obey Sherry? And I said, yes. And she said, thank you. And uh, I've been doing that ever since. I have given myself over to the control of another person. How has that worked out? Really well. Really well, Yeah. <laughs> One of the smartest things I ever did. How come? Because she is a kind and loving person. How about the Holy Spirit? Is he kind and loving? Heart, loving? Yeah. He doesn't let you down like Sherry did. <laughs> Sherry, yeah. Yeah. Sherry doesn't, yeah. The, uh, see, what happens here is when I come into the Holy Spirit and look for who I am as a new man, it's a different kind of thing. So new man, what are the two aspects of a new man? I'm not in darkness. I am in light. That's one thing, my new family membership. The other is that I have the Holy Spirit in a new heart. So, when he says here at verse 5, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and he goes on and talks about sin, rage, anger, malice, slander, filthy language, don't lie to each other. Is that darkness or light stuff? It's darkness stuff. He says, put it away. How come? Because I'm not old man, I am new man. How come I keep doing that old stuff? Because I not only have new heart, I have this other principle in me, and that other principle is sin stuff. It's my socialization, it's my family heritage. Uh, we have a daughter, adopted daughter, Cindy, and she spent the first quarter century of her life living in hell. Her family was about as awful as a family can be. The Brown family was old man. And then she became a part of the Brashears family, perfect family in every way. <laughs> well, not exactly, but I mean, categorically different. And Cindy, June 8th, 1989, I got a Father's Day present. It's a girl. Yeah, it was cool. And uh, she's been a part of our family for almost 25 years. And uh, 
Is Cindy brown or Brashears? Well, her family membership is Brashears. Why does she still wrestle with trust for me as her pops? Because she spent 25 years living with her dad, who was hell on earth. And that's still deep in her. And she's fighting that, and we help her fight that. Do I get mad and scream at her when she finds it hard to trust me? No. Why? I love her and understand where she's coming from, and I want to help her. What does she want to do? Does she want to think of me as dad who's going to hurt her or think of me as pops who's going to love her and care for her? Well, she wants to think of me as pops. See, and we're helping her do that. It's the same kind of thing with this new man. So verse 12, how does verse 12 begin? As God's what? chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Do you think of yourself before God as holy and dearly loved? Do you think of yourself as dedicated to Jesus, members of the kingdom of light, and dearly loved when you think about God? Or do you think about yourself as God's ready to jump down your throat and scream at you and kick you to the curb? Which one's true? Holy, dearly loved. But we have another narrative. Now, a lot of the church, a lot of the church takes a different approach. I was much, much, much intrigued with Russ Douthat's column in today's New York Times. Russ Douthat is a conservative Catholic. I had the privilege of meeting him about nine months ago, his wife and his little girl. And he is a very, very, very insightful commentator on things of the world and comes from a Christian perspective. And in today's New York Times, which you can see online, Russ Douthat is talking about the new Pope, uh, Pope Francis, and the things out of him. Interesting guy. I mean, did you see the picture this week as he tried to pay for his own hotel bill? It just freaked everybody out. Popes don't do this. They didn't believe he was the Pope. He came up white cassock and he's saying, can I pay for the bill? And they said, who are you? Because and that's so different. Why? Because he's a genuinely humble man. Luis Palau knows him because they're both from Argentina and they've prayed together. Amazing stuff. And so Russ Douthat is thinking about this. So much of the culture, and he's talking about the Roman Catholic sex abuse and all that kind of stuff and the moral authority. So much of our culture is religious but not practicing. They're still into the ways of the world. So he talks about the Catholicism preaches mostly, uh, Catholicism preaches mostly warps and really fulfills that the world's approach to sex and money ambition is the only sane approach. What you hear all the time is the world's approach to sex, money, ambition is the only sane approach. This world is not to be confused with atheism. Our age is still religious, it's just made its peace with the human appetites and all the varied ways they intertwine. So, he says, from the sermons of Joel Olstein to the epiphanies of Eat, Pray, Love, our spiritual oracles still seek us, still urge us to seek the supernatural, the numinous, the divine. They just dismiss the idea 
that the divine could possibly want anything for us except what we already want for ourselves. This is religion without renunciation of the ways of the world. Do you know that kind of religion? Do you know that kind of religion where it says, oh yeah, seek God, he's good, and go ahead and live in sin, he's okay with that. Religion without change, religion without new life. Is that what Paul's preaching here in, in 1 Corinthians or in Colossians? No, not at all. What is he saying? He's saying because you're not in darkness, because you are in light, put off the trash, the immorality, the impurity, the greed, the anger. Is our culture like anger? Does our culture like anger? Think of the movies. What's kind of the top movie right now? Django. What's it about? Revenge. Revenge. Now, I haven't seen Django, and I'm not going to. Uh, I don't do violence. I was with my dad when he was shot, and I know what violence looks like. Uh, but I went to see Lincoln, and I went to see Les Mis. And both of them began with trailers that I literally covered my eyes. And there were Django, and they were, what, Die Hard version, what, 47 with Bruce Willis? <laughs> Why is Die Hard and Bruce Willis so incredibly popular? Because our culture is worshiping revenge. What does Paul say? Put it off. Put it off. Put it off. And the question is, how do you do that? How do you do that? It's not the old fundamentalism, this is wrong, you do it, stop. You know, that's, not, that's not what he's doing. What he's doing is he's talking about these things to put off, put to death, the wrath of God is coming, rid yourself of rage, malice, slander, stop lying to each other. Here's the thing. I believe in regeneration and justification. I'm not in darkness, I am in light. I have a new heart and I have the Holy Spirit. So here's the thing, this I think is true. When you find something, say you find this righteous anger in you, and we always call it righteous anger, we just want to kill somebody. Because why? They've hurt me. And they have. And revenge says, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you with a 10% penalty for pain and suffering. What does it say? How do I not do that? How do I put off lust? How do I put off anger? How do I put on lie? Adlai Stevenson, a senator and presidential candidate from back in the 50s and 60s, uh, said, a lie is an abomination to the Lord and a very present help in trouble. How do you put off the lying? Well, here's the thing. Am I in darkness or in light? I am in light. So if I stop and think, okay, think about what? Think about what? You have been raised with Christ. 
your life is hidden with Christ. You are holy and dearly loved. You are, that's the kind of thing you're thinking about. I am, I am light. And prayerfully, so I stop and think, who am I? I check in with God. Lord, check in with God. And then I also check in with community. Now, not just anybody, but people who also understand not in darkness, yes, in light. I check in with somebody else. So I'm living in community like Antioch. If I stop and think prayerfully in community and will make me and ask what will make me most deeply happy, then I'll almost always do the right thing. Yep. What does happiness mean in our society? If I just go out here on the street and find somebody down at the local brew pub and say, what does happiness mean? What would I likely say? Man, it makes me feel good right in the moment. Well, that's not happiness. That's a thrill. And I'm not saying Christianity will give you the thrill. In fact, it doesn't a lot of times. But when I talk about happiness, I'm talking about that long-term, deep satisfaction of my new heart. So if I am regenerate, and I really am of Christ, what will make me happier? That person who's hurt me, if I go back and punch him in the face, literally or metaphorically, or if I treat them with compassion and make them my friend. Which will make me more satisfying? Which will make me more deeply happy? Making them their friend. Which one's easier to do? Punch them in the faith. Which one's a bigger thrill? I'm going to yeah, get you. If I stop and think, what am I? I'm like Jesus. Okay, what was Jesus doing like 3,000 years ago? What was Jesus doing 3,000 years ago? Uh, when, when was he born at Bethlehem? 2,000 years ago. What was he doing 3,000 years ago? He was hanging out in heaven. What was his lifestyle like there in heaven? Yeah, his 401k was like, yeah, it's doing good, you know. Health benefits were in, in pretty good shape. Uh, it's great. What did he do? He left all that behind and did what? Came to be born. What's the first thing that happened shortly after he was born? He had to run for his life because Herod was trying to kill him. Went to Egypt, came back to Nazareth. His life there was in grinding poverty, far worse than any of us have ever lived in. Because in the United States, you cannot live in the kind of poverty he lived in. There are too many systems available to you. He lived in political oppression of unbelievable level. There are parts of the world that have that kind of oppression. He went to Jerusalem, got assaulted by the leaders, arrested by Herod's police, taken in the back room, and even the passion of Christ could not portray what happened there. And then he went to a cross and took all of our sin and shame to himself. Pretty gnarly experience. 
and he's raised to newness of life so that we could join him in that new life. If I stop and think prayerfully in community and what make me most deeply happy, I will almost always do compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now let me unpack this a little bit further. C-A-P-P, CAP. I should have brought a CAP with me. I didn't think about it. Confession. What is confession? Confession means talk about stuff. And I'm talking about what happens when I find the anger in myself. What happens when I find the lust in myself? What do I find that desire to lie? Confession means just simply talk about it. Confession means say what is in my heart to friends and to God. See, and the temptation is to hide it. Don't let anybody know what's going on in my heart. Don't let me know what's going on inside me when that lust and that rage and that selfishness shows up. Don't talk about it. This is the opposite. It is talk about it. And I'm talking about two things. I'm talking about who I am. Now, who am I? Darkness or light? I'm light. I confess. I speak out the truth. I am light. My life is hid with Christ in God. I am raised with Christ. I have been made alive. I am holy and beloved. I say those things because Satan wants me to forget those things. And that's what Colossians 3 is talking about. And I talk about the sin or defilement. I talk about the rage. I talk about the anger. I talk about the dirtiness that comes from having participated in sin or having somebody sin against me. That's the confession piece. I talk about it. That is not natural. That is Christ-like. Then I go on to the A, which is the acceptance piece. I speak out what has happened. Now I accept two different dimensions. I accept my new life, and that acceptance is giving up the right to take care of it myself. If I've sinned, legalism says I've got to do something to make up for it. And what this is saying is I give up the right to take care of myself. I give up the right to hurt myself because I've hurt somebody else. I give up that right and I receive the reality that Jesus has taken that. And when I give up that right to pay the penalty for my own sin, I give up something really important. I give up legalism and religion in favor of grace. That's hard to do. That is hard to do. And I also accept the truth that I have an indwelling Holy Spirit to help me do it. It's not me by myself. It's me with the Holy Spirit and the community of the Spirit, a good church like Antioch. That's the acceptance piece. Then there is... The P, the put off the old, and that's a prayerful commitment. And the other side of that is put on the new. Put on the new. Okay? Let me illustrate this. Real stuff. Real stuff. I had uh, a guy come in to me, a pastor, this was a while back. I'll just call him Bill. Bill came into my office, and he had that haunted look on his face. Fell down in a chair and started sobbing. 
And I just, gosh, shut the door and waited a little bit for him to calm down a little bit. And I said, Bill, what happened? And he said, it's Mary, his wife. What about Mary? I said, I knew her, beautiful, godly woman. She's with somebody else right now. What do you mean she was somebody else? She's in bed with another man right now. And it was true. It was true. It was true. Oh, my gosh. Well, I went into support mode because he just needed help at that point. I affirmed the truth that he is accepted and loved in the beloved. I did all the stuff you see in Colossians chapter 3. And I spent about an hour just comfort in praying with him and reminding him some basic truths of who he was in Christ. And I said, come back and see me tomorrow. And he did. He came in tomorrow, <clears throat> and I said, Bill, let's talk just a little bit. And I got to talking to him, I got to working with him, and he began to tell me, I said, tell me about your daily life. And as we got to looking at it, it became clear that Bill loved his church more than he loved his wife. And because of being neglected and because of not being taken care of, she was vulnerable and another pastor, ironically, who was a sexual predator, met her at a conference, groomed her, set her up, and took her down. Whose sin was it? Well, the guy who was sitting in front of me was Bill. So I went after him. He is there hurting like crazy because his wife is with another man, ironically another pastor. And I went after him because of Bill's sin. And what was his sin? Loving his church more than he loved his wife. Now, what did I have him do? What did I have him do? First was what? Confession. I helped Bill, me acting as a priest of the Most High God, I helped Bill speak two things. First, what? Holy, beloved, raised with Christ, powers and authorities are disarmed, sin is forgiven, and to speak out in detail his sin of loving his church more than his wife. Then I had him prayerfully accept God's forgiveness and cleansing. Now, Bill's a pastor. He's a very responsible man. He's a pastor of a large church. Responsible men who are pastors want to do what when they discover they've done something wrong? They want to fix it. And I had to take Bill to the reality that he could not fix his sin. He could do nothing to make for his sin. He could do nothing to pay the penalty of his sin. And the other side was the reality that hmm, Jesus has already done it. And the hardest thing for Bill to do was to say, I accept Lord Jesus, the fact that I nailed nails into your hands on that cross 
and I accept your forgiveness full and free. It was almost impossible for him to do that. But the reality was there. That was really, really, really hard. Then I said, okay, I want you to make a commitment. I want you to put off the practice of neglecting your wife. And we talked about some specifics. And I want you to put on some specifics of how to nurture and affirm his wife. Now, where is his wife at the moment? She's with another man. We did that in faith that get back together. That's how this works. See, it's all grace-based. This is not legalism. This is not moralism. This is not, this is bad, you're doing it. Stop. This is, this is bad. Jesus paid the penalty and gave us a new heart in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we can act out of who we are with God's help and with the help of the community. And I'm glad to say that Bill and Mary are together. Their marriage is stronger than it would have ever been. He is pastoring a church again. There was a long period of healing in between. Because they didn't go to legalism, they went to Colossians 3, grace. And what I'm calling you to do here together as a church and as individuals is believe this reality that there is new life in Jesus Christ. And we're no longer darkness, we are light. And we don't have to be trapped in the garbage of the past. Because we're new and because we have the Holy Spirit and because we have the community of the Spirit, we can put off, but it takes effort, and put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, forbearance, and love. Amazing. Amazing. Let's pray together. Father, how we praise you for who you are, how we love you for the grace you give so freely, for the power of the Holy Spirit, how we treasure the reality of that new heart. And as we come together here to worship you and serve you and take this offering, I pray that you will be blessed by our life together as community here at Antioch. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.